Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Happy New Year, y'all. Along with eating moon pies and drinking RC, the guys talk with the Saddle Brothers about their latest game, Myth Dark Frontier. They also review four games, including Adrenaline, Clank, and Stefan Feld's latest games, Oracle of Delphi and Yorvik. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 109. Same old angst. Same old, same old Lang sign. It's not same old Ang sign. No, it's same old Lang sign. That's always the hard one to understand. And that was Marty, and this is Tony. So this is the old Dan Fogelberg song, right? Yes. I got so sick of this song when this song came out. But you'll be hearing it a bunch because we are into the new year, and you'll always hear it at the beginning of the new year. Now that's funny that you say that because I haven't in the recent years. I wonder why. Maybe it's because you don't listen to the old person station. <laughs> <laughs> that that could be it. Yeah. Same old Lang Zine, not Ang. Same old, yeah. Anyway, moving along, we are all about board games for 2017. That's what we're going to focus on, isn't it? Well, seeing how it is at the beginning of the new year, yeah, I think we should focus on board games of 2017, except for this particular episode where we're going to take talk about board games that came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not sure where you're going with this. All I'm saying is, in 2017, we are going to be focusing on board <laughs> games. We're going to be ready to go. However, yes, we do have a Flying Squirrels segment, so Lord knows where that's going to go. I, I don't even know, and the sad part is, is, I don't know what my third squirrel is going to be in the Flying Squirrels. I had it. I didn't write it down, and now it's gone. I had a squirrel moment with Flying Squirrels. Well, you've got, up until the last one, you will have up to eight, ten minutes to figure <laughs> it out. That's all there is to it. And also, this is a Stefan Feld theme episode where we're going to cover two Stefan Feld games, the most recent one, the Oracle of Delphi and Jorvik, uh, which Tony and I have gotten to play, and we want to review on one of our five-minute initiatives. And we said, let's just go crazy with five-minute initiatives and throw in two more. We're going to include Adrenaline from Czech Games and also Clank from Renegade Games. I mean, it's amazing, you know, uh, Adrenaline. We played it at Origins. And prototype, I, uh, yes. Prototype. And we finally got to play it. Did it hold up to what we thought it was going to be after we sat down and played, and it was uh, blew our mind then? You'll find out. Clank. We haven't even talked about, and yet it's one that you've told me you've got to play this. Yeah, and then you finally got a chance to play it. And we weren't even going to talk about this game, but after you're playing it, it's like people need to know about this really cool little deck building game. Yeah, I agree with you. And then, of course, the TMG Oracle of Delphi and then Stronghold with Jorvik. You know, his Steven did that last big push of all those games at the end. So got to give them homage for coming out at the end. And it will also help us. Come up with the big show, The Squirrelies. Uh, that's right. That will be coming up sometime in February, and we've already started working on that, some of the some of the awards that we're going to be giving out. But that's not all, Tony. This episode, we also have an interview with some of our favorite designers, the Sadler Brothers, as they're going to announce a game here that's going to be coming out on Kickstarter in a couple of days. I know. I couldn't believe we were able to pull that together over the holidays. Amazing that we were able to get them to sit down with us. Wow. We've got reviews. We've got designer interviews. We've got flying squirrels. I guess we just ought to go ahead and jump into the flying squirrels. Do it. And now it's time for flying squirrels. Short discussions on topics that have our attention for now. 
hope you'll really like it. For those of you that have just joined Rolling Dice and Taking Names, first, thank you so much. But this is the Flying Squirrel segment. And basically what it is, Marty and I have two minutes to discuss topics that have caught our attention that we know about, we think about, and then we forget. And that's what it is. That's all it is. Two minutes. Shoot, we don't even sometimes remember what we wanted to talk about and we forget to write it down. So anyway, this is two minutes. You will hear a sound indicating this change of the segment over to the next segment. Two minutes. Are you ready? I'm ready. First off, Marty, what I had an opportunity to do over the holidays was play Ticket to Ride with my mother-in-law and my wife. My mother-in-law loves Ticket to Ride, and we broke out the Switzerland map. For those of you that have Ticket to Ride, if you haven't played all the maps, I highly recommend you give the Switzerland a map a try. It's designed for two and three people, and it's perfect. However, as with everything, when I'm teaching a game, I tend to have to remind people of certain rules. And this time, my mother-in-law, for some odd reason, could not grasp the idea of how the engine could only be used in this situation as for tunnels. I kept having to tell her. She kept trying to play it and try it. And so for, you know, for one hour and 20 minutes, I'm saying, you can't use it there. Can I use it here? No, can't use it here. So I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, I tell you what, every time I play a card and I mention it, I am only going to say, you may use the engines for building tunnels. And it finally came through. And then when you're doing tunnels, have you played Ticket to Ride with Tunnels yet? Oh, you just don't know a firestorm here. No, I have not. Okay. If you have not played it, it is simple. Normally, when you have to play tunnels, you have to play so many uh, engines to match the cards that are coming up. If you play like to build your tunnel and it's all pinks that you're using, you turn over the number of cards depending on which map you're playing. And then you have to match that color based on the number of cards turned over. Okay. Wow. Never have I had Ticket to Ride last so long, and never have I been beaten as bad as my wife scored almost 200 points in Ticket to Ride. She almost went around the board twice. With Switzerland, it's easy to do. So guys, let me tell you this. If you're still a Ticket to Ride fan and you want to do the two minutes, uh, two minutes, a two-player or three-player version, I highly recommend you look that one up if you can still find it. Great addition to your Ticket to Ride series. So you know we're a huge fan of the Arkham Horror, the card game, and plus I also like other games like the Arkham Horror board game and Eldritch Horror, Mansions of Madness. Fantasy Flight Games just came out with a brand new book called The Investigators of Arkham Horror, and they uh, sent us a copy to check out. And let me tell you what, Tony, this is an incredible book. This basically gives like bios or little stories of all the different investigators in Arkham Horror. And what's really cool about this is as we play like the uh, the card game, like here's like Wendy Adams. You can read a little story on here and get, get a little backstory of the characters you're actually playing in the game. It just adds a lot of depth and theme uh, to the characters as you play it. And this book has tons of different characters, characters that you that may have been used in all the board games but haven't been used yet in the card game. And so this book, as I read the stories, it's really cool because it like, makes me want to play that particular character uh, in the game. Uh, this book is now on pre-order. They had a pre-order version early uh, in the fall uh, where you get some special stuff with it, but now it's, the regular version is going to be coming out and should be coming out in stores in January. Uh, you really need to check this out. Now, didn't Richard mention that Richard Lonnie, sorry, mentioned this to us at the May that we were at? He was talking about this book coming out and how it's been developing over years and years, and it's basically the go-to book for the guys at Fantasy Flight? Uh, yes, it is, because not all these characters are necessarily created by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, Fantasy Flight has their own Arkham horror library where they've created all these characters and backstories and everything and that's a lot where this comes from the art in here is absolutely gorgeous it's a fun read the really weird thing about it though is that they aren't complete stories 
Like you'll read a story and it like leaves you as at a cliffhanger. And it's like, wait a minute, I want to know exactly what happens. So I don't know whether this is like a tease or something else even coming on down the road, but at least gives you a little bit of insight about each of the characters. So when I finally get my other copy of Arkham Harm, the living card game, I can now go look it up and just say, oh boy, I can't wait to try to find that character. Yep, that's exactly right. So that's the Investigators Arkham Horror pre-order now from Fantasy Flight Games. So Marty, I didn't go to Kentucky this year like I've done in the past. Our friends moved back here to Charlotte. So we all decided to meet together and play a whole bunch of games one day. So I've had two fun, fun-filled fun game days. One with you and a bunch of our friends, Mark and Chris. And then, of course, with my friends from Kentucky and our old neighbors. And we got to play a game called Time's Up by R&R. Have you ever played that game? Yes, I have. Which version did you play? I don't know. Did you play the one with the titles in it or the people in it? I don't remember. Excellent. <laughs> I'm glad I could help you out here. <laughs> so as you know, or don't remember, there are three rounds to that game. One where you can use clues, sounds, as many words as yes. you want, but you can't pass. And you've got two teams and you're going around and you've got a stack of cards and they pass from players to players. So initially you get uh, so many cards dealt out to you. People set it up however they want to. I've never played this game. And it was very interesting especially in the later rounds, because the first round, like I said, you can use as many words as you want, but you can't pass. The second one is one word, act out anything. But I think the point is, is that you're doing the same clues every round. Right, every every yes. round. So it's one word. And then, of course, the third round, you can say nothing, but you can pass. So the second round, you can pass on cards. Third round, you can say nothing, but you can pass. But all you can do is act it out. Well, it's funny. By the third round, we're all pointing at one another. It's because like, somebody would do something funny that yep. everybody would know. We'll remember. And like I said, it's the same things you're trying to figure out every round. It's just you have less information to figure it out with. And like you said, somebody will do something silly or something, and you point to that person they remember oh he was trying to act out that one particular movie yeah and there at the end if people who have good memory they just start calling out clues and things like that well the best part of this whole thing is one of the kids who none of them are kids anymore i picked the one happy trails for you so he looks and he says you know it's got the words that thing between your belly button and that that stuff is called and it froze everybody and his mom was mortified when he said what it was happy trail and we'll leave it at that. Well, here's the thing. is just a quick add-on to the, I know it's running a little bit long, but that's where the name Morton's Corplepsy came from. We were playing Time's Up at Cool Men You're Not Expo, and it was I was supposed to try to say Mulder and Scully uh, from X-Files, and it came out Morton's Corplepsy. So that's that's the story of that. It came from Time's Up. Uh, the game's on backorder everywhere. I was going to order it for Donna, and I just cannot find it anywhere. So Time's Up, they've now got third expansion. It's amazing. <laughs> Tony, you and I are classic arcade and uh, console gamers, right? You and I both grew up on the Atari 2600, the NES on. Did you see where over the holidays where Nintendo came out with the NES Classic, a small version of the original Nintendo with like 30-something games in it? I saw your tweets. You told me about it. I said, that's awesome. Why do I want to relive my past? I do it all the time anyway, you know? <laughs> well, anyway, I was uh, lucky enough to get one of these. In fact, well, I had to plan to get one of these because I thought they were going to be a hot item. And they were. And they were. And on the morning that they were released, uh, my wife and I went to GameStop and got there an hour before it opened. And it's a good thing that we did because there was a line there to get only 12 that they had in stock. And it is a fantastic little console. And what's so funny is uh, all my three boys play video games and each of them got like a new game to play with on the PC or Xbox One. They have spent more time playing the NES Classic than any of their new games on the new console. Which one? They are really into Final Fantasy 
and Castlevania, and uh, there, there's one other into the the RPG ish type things. But now, uh, my oldest son loves Castlevania, so he's playing through that game again. But guess what is on there, Tony? And guess what we may have to play at some point in time? Bubble Bobble. Bubble Bobble. Oh on my there. heaven! And yes, I've already played many levels of Bubble Bobble. And so Tony and I in college were Bubble Bobble experts. We were. Yeah, we, we spent finished hours. Play- we finished the game. We spent hours sitting in front of a computer screen, a little CRT, and we basically had everything memorized. We knew how the monsters moved, everything, and our goal was to finish the game. And you and I eventually beat the game. We beat the game yeah, after many, many years. And our roommate coming in and said, "Y'all are doing it again." Yes. I'm surprised. <laughs> Once again, I'm surprised. Had there been LCGs, CCGs. <laughs> We would have never graduated. No, but anyway, NES Classic is a wonderful little system, a nice little throwback system. Uh, playing all those old games, there's still so much fun. It's just something about that old, the old music and the old controls and simple systems just make it such a great system. All right, so I have this bad habit of going into Target and going through the game aisle looking for clearance items because you know, not there, there's always the big clearance. Uh, at Target that goes on for games that aren't selling. And I may pick up something. We can use it for international tabletop or whatever. This Christmas, I was walking through there and I kind of stopped and was looking at something to include in our Jack Vassal Memorial Fun box, but they were out of it, which was, by the way, uh, Quicks. They, they had sold out mm-hmm. of it. And I'm standing there and there was this uh, father and daughter sitting there talking about various games. And he was talking, and I was like, guys, can I give you any recommendations? I know a little bit about board games. Matter of fact, I do some reviews for it. He goes, really? And I go, yeah, I do. He goes, for who? And I'm like, what do you mean, for who? Like, you know anything. And the reason why I bring this up is <laughs> he's holding Jenga. Okay. All right? I'm like, okay, first off, it's the Dice Tower. Do you know who they are? Well, no. I'm like, okay, this could get ugly. <laughs> and then he's like, well, Jenga's a great game. I said, yes, it is a great game. He says, well, we just want it sitting around for grandma to play. I'm like, well, grandma can definitely play that. But the problem with Jenga is once it's knocked down, nobody wants to set the stupid thing back up. Sure. Well, and goes, I go, that's the bad of this game. You know, what about this? And the daughter goes, well, what about headbands? I go, that's a cute little game. Yeah. I said, are y'all looking for a party game? What's a party game? Once again, you ask me, who do I review for? And you ask me what a party game is? Oh my gosh, come on, people. So anyway, I look at him, I go, code names. Do code names. It's a great little party game. Y'all will have a great time with it. And the girl goes, really? Well, that's this. And guess what? I looked at him and I said, look, there's the good. Code names. And they said, okay, well, is there anything else? What about this ultimate werewolf? I turned around. Walk oh, away. come on. You could have given them Ultimate Werewolf. It's not that bad. It's oh, a good step right. into this party game type thing. I know it is. And I said, well, listen, it's not one of my favorite, but if you're interested, that's great. But anyway, I walked away. I don't know what they got. But anyway, it was like the good, the bad, and the ugly at Target <laughs> with me trying to push another game, code names or whatever, on someone else, trying to steer them correctly. Speaking of pushing games, uh, Tony, you know, you and I had talked about, you know, after Dice Master, we said, that's it. We're done with any collectible style games. We had a, not a good experience with that, with the, how they released and everything. It says, we're done. So over the summer, Fantasy Flight announces Star Wars Destiny. Oh, cool, exciting. It's a collectible game. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. And yeah, you and Loudmouth Rob started playing up there, and I said, don't bring that home. Yeah, and here's the thing. We demoed the game at Gen Con, and both Rob and I were like, eh, it's all right. So... For the show, I felt I at least need to get a starter pack just to see what it was like, right? We reviewed it. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we talked about the starter packs and stuff. So we talked about the starter packs and what a decent game it is and everything. Well, so right now to the right of me, between Tony and I, are eight 
unopened Star Wars Destiny booster packs <laughs> that after our recording, we're going to do a booster draft as well. We want to fill out our starter deck a little bit because the starter uh, set only comes with 20 cards and you're supposed to play into 30 cards in your deck. Well, we can't play a real game. So we had to get some booster packs. Of course so, we did. So Tony and I are going to be doing a booster draft later. And this is reminiscent of many, many years ago where Tony and I would basically buy a full booster box of a game that we we're interested in and do a draft. Uh, basically, we put out all the packs on the table. He would draft and I would draft. And at the very end, we would open everything up, sort, and then do a trade. And we're probably going to do the same sort of thing tonight. And I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to open those things over there. And you know what would be awesome is if we pull two Darth Vader legendaries, because they will immediately go on eBay. There's no other reason not to <laughs> do that around here. But I love the fact that you actually traded up. You sold a game to get money to buy the boosters. And I think that was a positive trade. That was a good trade, Jack, for the beans, for the cow, <laughs> and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, so here's the thing is I the game is... <sighs> I didn't want to really get into it. I just wanted well, to get don't. enough cards to where I, I can just build a decent deck. And that, actually, I've been doing some Skyping online with people and playing. It really works well on Skype because you don't need a big play area. And it's really easy to see everything. So that actually works well. So anyway, I'm going to be like salivating the rest of our uh, recording here, waiting to jump all over those packs. I like how the fact is every tweet I see coming into Dicey Names is from someone else with a bunch of Star Wars Destiny that they say, well, I ain't doing this, ain't you? Oh, crud, I'm, I'm in it. Yeah, we, we, yeah. So we're sorry to all those people that, you know, it's a drug. I admit it. I got a problem. It's all over, Boomwinkle. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. We were fortunate to get a copy of the game Oracle of Delphi from TMG, which is one of the new games from Stefan Feld. And I really enjoyed a lot of Stefan Feld games. So I was excited to try this one, Tony. But Tony, I must say, this is the most unfailed failed game I think I've ever played. I'm going to trust you on that. All I can say is, cut to the chase, it left an aftertaste in my mouth. Oh, jeez. But I'm not saying it's bad. Seconds into the I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying there's an aftertaste, and we'll talk about it. But, I mean, can you sum up for me a failed game in the five-minute initiative that we got going on? <laughs> well, here's the thing. It's a simple thing. It's a race. It's a, race. Uh, it's, it's a map made of uh, hex... Uh, heck, I'm going to say hex squares. That it makes took you no longer to set up the map than, than for anything else. <laughs> it, it, it did. So it, it's, it's a map with islands, and, and you have a ship that you're trying to sell around and do different tasks. Your goal is to complete 12 tasks. Zeus has given you 12 tasks to do. Anything from raising statues, defeating monsters, uh, making offerings, and building shrines. The first one to complete all their tasks, get back to the Zeus statue, wins the game. It's a race. It's not point salad. There's no victory points in this failed game. No, and it's not. And the dice control everything, which I think can be the most confusing because the color of the dice indicate where you can move your ship to or if you can defeat a monster because the color, it gives you that ability to accomplish whatever. You pick up that cube or be next to that land and grab a green cube and then move that. Now, some of your tasks are wild cards. You don't have to have all that color that you got to be very specific about that. You have to explore in order to find your area. That was a neat little thing. That You mean find your area to raise the shrine. Raise the shrine. Every area has like a color around it, and you have to have that color dice in order to be able to explore that island. And when you do, if it happens to be one of the places, uh, one of your tiles where you can place a shrine, you get to put it there. If not, well, you've exposed it for somebody else for them to come and build a shrine. But you get a reward for that anyway. You do. But I think the big mechanic here is the dice. So you have three dice, just like you said, and there's six colors. And you have a a color wheel. And the thing is, is after you roll your dice, you put your uh, dice on those colors. And when you take your turn, if 
if you don't have a color that you need, you can move clockwise around that wheel to get to what you need. So let's say you need to move to a place that's green and uh, you're like two spaces away from that. They have these things called favorite tiles where you can spin to move. Now, you said that kind of bothered you because you can only move one direction. I didn't like the clockwise. It seemed like to me, we're going into the likes and dislikes of this, that every time I would roll, my dice would be right past it and I could never have enough favor to move it all the way around. It was very frustrating to me. Now, there was a neat little mechanic was about you could waste a dice to either gain, uh, to look in and try to discover where your tokens right, were so right. you can move your ship there. Or, or get an oracle card, which could represent a color dice that you can use on turn, on your turn. Or the best thing is advance what we call, I'm going to call them the God tokens, where you can move them up the clouds to get closer to the God, which gives you an immediate action. Those are things that you and I did not do at the beginning of it. And if we had thought about was probably, well, the first few rolls are going to do that before we go out and, and get those things. Because, and it's funny, I've played this game multiple times and I can't believe it was like, my gosh, why haven't I been doing this all along? Maybe one of the first things I should do is get those gods moving to take advantage of them by the end of the game. But we ran into a situation and every game that I've played, it was been, it's been a few, we had a runaway leader situation. Oh yeah, that was ridiculous. In the first game that I played, I just happened to get lucky and be near the tiles that I needed to be near in order to build my shrines or happen to have the right stuff in, it in order to uh, get the offerings made that I needed to. Same thing happened in this game. On the first turn, the first player completed two tasks right out of the box just because the board happened to be set up a certain way and randomly generated to where it's like, oh look, that's where I can build a shrine. I'll do it right now. And then yet my stuff was all full on the other side of the board and I was on the wrong side and I could never roll the correct way to deliver a statue because the stupid dice were such spread out that I couldn't spin them up to gather enough favor or I could just waste them all to get the favor. Oh, here we go. This game, like I said, is the most unfailed game I ever played. Typically with failed, you think it's a point salad game where you try and generate as much points as possible. I appreciate the fact that he did something that's not his typical style where it's just a, a pure race game. But because of the randomness of the board and because of the dice, there is a luck factor that you don't find in other failed games. Yes, I would agree with that. So, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> You're exasperated. <laughs> I don't know if this game, if it's put out again, if I would want to play it again. It's just one of those things that, I, I don't know, something, something was not right there for me with those, that dice mechanic. It just did not feel good. Was it just too lucky for it to be a Euro game? I mean, it was so frustrating to not be able to do actions on my turn. Yeah. Now, there are some ways to mitigate luck. For example, we talked about the favor tiles or maybe using some God actions or getting those Oracle cards, which give you some extra actions. It just seems that in every game that I played, there was a situation where there was a person that kind of got ahead of the group real quick. And there's not a lot of player interaction in this game, so we really couldn't stop him. Our only hope was is that person had a tough time finishing his final task as we were trying to catch up to him. Now, for me, I love my failed games. However, this is probably not one that I would pick off the shelf and play first if somebody said, hey, let's pick up a fail game. But because it is different and it is a pickup and delivery game and feels a little bit different than those other games, I'm definitely willing to try it again. And for me, I will definitely say I would give it another try, but right now... Uh, let's just put it on the back burner for a while and before I do. Five minute initiative is complete. We're finally in 2017, which means we finally are going to get to play and see from Portal Games 
first Martians. Tony and I got to try out a prototype earlier in 2016, really enjoyed it. I know that Ignacy has been working hard on it because he keeps tweeting about it every day, how sick he is of this game and can't wait for it to be done. But it sounds like they got a whole bunch of scenarios written. He's ready to go and I think they're going to be going to print hopefully soon. I think he's going to be hitting the pre-orders up pretty soon too. And we're sorry. We know we were the delay because we beat it. Yes, we did. So we apologize for that. But because of us, we're making it better. Right? Okay, not really. It's just that we got, we got lucky. But anyway, I know that they've been working hard on it. So keep an eye out for First Martians. Pre-order is going to be coming soon from Portal Games. Go check them out at portalgames.pl. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. So the next felt on the table was Jorvik from, we got it from Stronghold Games. And I know people have been arguing over, is it Jorvik or is it Jarvik or, or Jorvik or Jorvik? Well, that's nothing compared to what it was a rethink from. <laughs> Die Speckerstadt from 2010. Now this game, Marty and I got out shortly after Oracle of Delphi and it was like a breath of fresh air coming out. And for me, wow. well, I know, hey, what can I say? This is number five in the Great Designer series from Stronghold. I mean, basically all you're doing is you are trying to get an engine that is going to generate victory points for you at the end. While Delphi did not feel like a fail game, this one really felt like a fail game because it was just a way to try to generate as many victory points as you could by the end of the game. But what was really cool about this uh, Viking-themed game, Tony, was the whole bidding mechanic. So there are these cards on the board, and you got four Vikings that you can use to try to bid on those cards. And everybody can place their Viking underneath the card if they want to have it. The thing is, though, the first person there gets the first shot at it, but they have to pay in gold the number of Vikings that are on that uh, card. For example, if I put my Viking there and there are 300 beneath it, it's going to cost me four to get it. So if it's something that's really valuable, it drives up the price. Right. So you fill the board for the cards. People put their little people on it, Vikings out there. Now there was one neat thing. There was the picks that would come out. Now that's an interesting aspect. So as you filled out the car, attack of the picks, attack of the picks, and they would come out and they would hurt you. And whoever had the max would gain victory points. Whoever had the men defense, max what defense yes. or Vikings. So, so or one thing you had to do is you had to buy defense cards, right? right? So those were like pretty valuable at the beginning. So everybody's trying to get those driving up the prices of those. Mm -hmm. But what was neat was is when it came your turn to buy that card, you didn't have to, right? Right. If you had the first choice, you could say, no, nah, I don't want it. And if you didn't take it, the person beneath you had a choice to buy it for one less cost. And now, of course, we played the expansion where we used the upper board where you filled in more of the cards. Yes. And therefore, you could also move those up into the huts, and that expense would build as well. Is that well, that was the Jarl uh, expansion, right? There's two versions of the game. We played the Jarl, which is the the full one. And what you could do is you could reserve a card. You could say, I want to reserve this card. And if if it's the leftmost card, uh, that resolve first, and however many cards are behind it, it's going to cost that many coins to buy it. So if you wanted to get out there and reserve a card first, and other people started reserving cards behind it, it was going to make that first one more expensive, but the last card in that line was only worth one. Again, it was just another way to generate cards, and I highly recommend if you play that game, Play that version. Play the Yarl version. Don't play the other one because that mechanic is really cool. Yeah, I mean, some people say you need to understand the cards before you go there. I don't think you need to. Now, one of the neatest mechanics of this game that I think for me was when the resource boats came out. I mean, the resource pool is in a bag and you don't get to see the, re the resources come out randomly and they go on the ships and they are placed. So you're bidding for the ships. Hey, that's kind of cool. Come to my port. I'm going to pay you the most money <laughs> right. or go elsewhere. And you need those resources in order to be able to use it. Now, you can have one 
spot to carry it over. Or if you happen to get a card that has a warehouse, you can do more. There's other cards. There's building cards. There's trade cards. There's contract cards. There's, like we've already said, the, the defense people yeah. are going there's up there. The, the trade cards where it's like you could trade goods for gold. You could trade goods for victory points. You can have artisan cards or craftsman cards where you try to fill in a certain number of goods. And if you complete it, you get a bunch of victory points at the end. But what was really neat was at the beginning, you had all these artisan cards. They, you play through four seasons, uh, starting in the winter and, and, resolve, and ending in the autumn. And each one of those gives you certain things like the beginning is about a lot of artisan stuff. And then it kind of switches into the ships that are bringing you stuff. So you got to kind of prepare your artisans and craftsmen for the supplies that are going to be coming down the road. Right. And some of those things can go and you can trade them in the common area because if they're not used or people would use them, they go into a common area and you can pull them out later. So you don't have to get them in the ship. For me, what was really neat is at the end of the game, you then begin to get the victory point cards that say that you can get victory points if you have this artisans, ships, or whatever you have. Now, for me, this game is a keeper. I really enjoyed this game more than I did Oracles. I thought it was neat. Some people are going to say, hey, it's a simple game, whatever. I really enjoyed it. I think the game is very easy to teach, but I think the the group that we play with and, and we decided you really have to play through this multiple times to understand what cards are going to come out each season. Playing through this once, you're going to be, I just really don't have no no clue what I'm doing. But if you play it through multiple times, you'll start to realize, I kind of know in, in the spring and summer what cards are going to be coming up. So I'm going to buy these cards now in preparation for that. And then I know at the end, those victory cards going to come out that I can get like extra victory points if I have multiple number of ships, etc. Now, is this a keeper for you? Yeah, for sure. Because it's a fail game that I think is easy to teach. It has that nice point salady feel to it. I love the bidding mechanic. Yeah, this is going to stay on my shelf. Now, one of the neatest things I, I think about this game that near the end is we had a defensive thing going on. I don't want him to buy it. Therefore, I can I can sacrifice one of my Vikings to force the cost up. I thought that was brilliant. It, it does have a little bit of stick it to you. But again, the whole game for me the, is about the bidding uh, mechanic, which I just love. Here, rolling dice, taking aim. Definitely give Jorvik, Jarvik. Jorvik, <laughs> Die Speckendark, a try. We really like it. Five minute initiative is complete. Well, Marty and I never disappoint our listeners because you know what? You ask for more designers. So joining us again are the Sadler Brothers. Gentlemen, welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Name. Thank you for taking time and joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. This is a last-minute thing. Actually, over the, the Christmas holidays, uh, Adam and Brady contacted us and said, hey, uh, we got this new game coming out, and we would love to talk to you guys about it. So Tony and I had already started working on the plans for this episode, and we said, oh, they always have such good stuff. So we tweaked things around, and they were uh, kind enough to adjust their schedule so we are able to get them on. So, guys, you have a brand-new game that's going to be coming out on Kickstarter soon. I'll just let you tell us about it because you could do a lot more service to it than what I could. So uh, Adam and I uh, designed a game with Megacon games. It's called Myth Dark Frontier, and it's uh, set in the myth world of Megacon's big uh, myth they had a Kickstarter for. It's been a pretty good selling line for them, so they wanted to expand it. And uh, Adam and I had gotten in on that Kickstarter because those guys are local to us. So we we started working with them on an idea for a game that kind of just expanded the lore a little bit, and we wanted to make a uh, cooperative game that could feature their miniatures, but also have a lower price tag where it could be sold in a box with just tokens that could be replaced with miniatures if people wanted to. So the goal was to make a lower price point game that expanded the world and really feature those miniatures as an optional buy for players who wanted to incorporate them. Adam, if you want to elaborate on that at all. Kind of as a separate entry point to the world of Myth. Um, and it's a, you know it's a self-contained board game, so everything's there. You don't need to you know, buy different 
enemy miniatures if, unless you want to, you know, bling your game out with cool looking miniatures because they do have really good miniatures. It's a cooperative kind of adventure style board game with a, kind of a pandemic feel um, where you're, you're all working together to try to protect the city from invading monsters and you all play heroes and myth um, from the their myth game so they're very they'll be familiar heroes yeah and the cool thing about the, the heroes in the game is uh the myth uh, core set ha- features five uh, unique heroes and in the kickstarter they offered alternate genders and those miniatures were made for like a bonus but the the dark frontier game actually has those alternate gender uh, heroes so if you have myth and you got the dark frontier game actually has the hero miniatures in there so you have all the genders of all those heroes in, in the base game of myth so they work together pretty well and what about if you don't have myth we have the option to get those miniatures or will enough miniatures come with the game that you really don't need to buy anymore so the myth dark frontier comes with uh hero miniatures and it comes with tokens for the enemies and those tokens can be replaced if you have myth miniatures and they also megacon game sells the uh enemy packs and they happen to be in the, the proper number that you need for Dark Frontier. So if you want to replace all the Grubber and Mucker tokens in Myth Dark Frontier, you just buy a, a Grubber pack from Megacon and that swap out all the tokens for miniatures. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but I think the box actually includes like the boss figure, the captain figures, and the... So if you buy one enemy pack, you have all of the miniatures you would need for that enemy faction. Yeah. All right, so let me make sure I understand this. This is a co-op game. It's You said it's kind of not like Pandemic. Is it kind of sort of like Defenders of the Realm? I mean, you told no, me I'm defending something. said it was like something. Pandemic. If you would pay attention to what our <laughs> guests are saying... Uh, that's just it. We all went down the myth legend. So, I mean, really, what am I defending? Am I defending a city? Am I trying to eradicate people? What am I doing here? Yeah, let me tell you about the lore real quick. So the lore of the game is there's a city called Farinrock, which is called the City on the Edge of Darkness, because in myth, the um, omnipotent omnipresent enemy forces that are always crushing the heroes and all the civilized world is just called the darkness. All the bad guys are part of the darkness. So Farinrock is like this last beacon of hope for all of the good guys, for all the free peoples, and they people rally around this city, but at the same time, it's surrounded by darkness, so it's always under assault. This game takes place in there. You're, you're defending the city of Farinrock, but to defend it, you have to set out into all of the inv- the, the lands that are you know, under the threat of darkness to go fight off enemies and restore hope to these all these other surrounding smaller villages. So that's part of the game is you're just kind of going away, going from the center city into the surrounding lands to kind of you know, restore hope and build up fortifications to protect Farinrock. Adam was having a problem with his headset and he's switching it out right now. And Adam, you're back. And I just want to ask you a question. You said there was a, a unique element in the middle of the board uh, that's really cool for this game, but it's also kind of like one of the loss conditions. Tell us about that one. Yeah, so uh, the whole uh, goal of the game is to protect the city Farinrock in the center of the board, and it's actually represented in the game uh, by a uh, multi-part miniature of the city, and it has 10 different pieces on it. So every time uh, the you know the darkness assaults the city and uh, does damage to it, you actually take a piece of the city off, and if you ever take the last piece of the city off, then you lose. Um, and it's a really cool model, too. Uh, Tom Mason sculpted it um, over there, and it's really cool looking. Yeah, it's one of those things that really adds a nice aesthetic to the game. You didn't have to do that, but having this nice feature in the middle of the board that, that basically indicates how well you're doing as it crumbles to the ground as the monsters attack it. It's almost like they're kind of moving to the center of the board to attack that one location. So it almost sounds like maybe a deeper version of Castle Panic. Yeah, the uh, the, the cool emotional attachment to the uh, the miniature 
is, is a, it's kind of constant reminder. So like, it looks really awesome when it's there in the middle, but as it keeps getting hit, you have to take it apart and it's kind of like, ah, you don't want to see that thing fall apart because it's so cool looking. And, um, in, in regards to Castle Panic, it's, uh, it's got that feel because it is, you're, you're protecting a central location, but, um, there's a, a more of an adventure aspect to Dark Frontier because you actually have to go out into the, the, the frontier. That's why it's called Dark Frontier and go out into the other lands and, and go, you know, uh, build fortifications and towns, do quests and dungeons and chapels and stuff. And you have to actually break away from just sitting in the um, citadel of, of Farron Rock and protecting it. You have to actually venture out and also watch your backs because the enemies keep pouring into the city and you got to, you know, b- bide your time between questing and adventuring and then protecting the city. So it's got much a, more of a grand adventure feel to it. So instead of just sitting there defending the keep, turtling, trying to do that, you, you actually got to go out and accomplish stuff. Yeah, and that's that, that brings in the resource management aspect, Adam, if you want to go into that too. Yeah, also every uh, location has a different uh, encounter deck. So when you're going to encounter, if you go to encounter in the dungeon location, it's going to have different kinds of encounters compared to like a village. And when you do encounters, you can find allies and items, different things to help you out. So it's it's you're really encouraged to go out and uh, explore because you get these things to help you defend the city. So wait a minute, you're, you're doing resources to build stuff. I, I've, I've never, you know, resources has always been those things for Euro games. What's going on here? <laughs> That's one of the, uh, the cool parts, um, that kind of came from the early, de- early of the design is, is finding a way to, to have a more of a Euro feel, uh, while capturing that adventure, you know, Ameritrash feel. Uh, and the resource management, there's three main resources in the game. Uh, there's hope, there's supply, and there's influence. And those are kind of abstracted to represent different things you're doing out on the Dark Frontier. Like, for example, if you set up, you know, a trade post with another town, you're getting some, up a supply line built for Farinrock, so you'll get some supplies. So you need to gather these resources, and you spend those to do different things. And you can also lose them by failing certain things like if, if one of the enemy captains does one of his schemes he might make you discard some supply and if you can't do that Farinrock takes damage but you want to accumulate all these resources because you spend them on the main objectives there's always three objectives out in play when you're, uh, the enemy is trying to do their objectives while you're trying to do yours and if you can complete all of those which all of them cost different types of resources and different combinations that's one of the win conditions so the resources play a huge important part in the game and I'll add that you don't always go out to collect them. You actually can build structures in different areas, and you can produce resources um, that way as well. Well, I, you guys are really known for like making some really good co-op games. It's kind of become, whether you like it or not, it's kind of become your little niche. <laughs> so what makes what makes this co-op game stand out from other co-op games? Is there any unique uh, mechanics or features about it? So there's there's two in this game that I'm pretty um, happy with. Um, one of them people might recognize uh, kind of similar to Warhammer Quest, where the action cards uh, system in this game, every player has three or a hand of five action cards, and there there's battle, travel, quest, encounter, and fortify. And so everybody has those, but every hero has different effects on those cards, so they're slightly different for everybody. But um, you have to decide every round which three of those you're playing in the different uh, phases of the, game, of the round. And so you have, you have to coordinate with each other how to do those. And at the same time, there's an enemy action card shuffled into those phase decks as well. The other thing that I'm really uh, happy with in this game is the uh, the fate deck, is or the sorry, the fate pool. Um, if anybody familiar with uh, Myth, they uh, they have these fate dice, and they're, we use them again in this game. And you roll those at the start of the game, 
and every uh, symbol in, in on the fate dice actually is used to trigger additional abilities on the action cards. Um, but there's also a darkness symbol on those fate dice. So you have to decide if you want to risk spinning a fate die because um, after you use it, you have to roll it again. And if you roll darkness, that's going to make the enemy cards uh, even more powerful. So there's a push your luck mechanic where you want to do cool things with fate. But if you you know roll darkness, then it's going to come back and bite you. And you also have to share that pool with your with your uh, with your other players. So you want to make sure you discuss the plans for the day because you don't want somebody taking one of the fate results you wanted to use for your plans. So that kind of just works into the whole planning phase of the game. And that uh, that's kind of what we wanted to create was that just that discussion. There's independent choice because you have your own hand of cards, but the, the group discussion about what what's the best way to use the resources you have and the fate dice you have uh, and the you know whatever tactical situations going on on the board, that just all lends itself to a group discussion. And that's kind of one thing that Adam and I try to work toward because we are the co-op or that's our calling card now is the co-op guys. We just always want to design co-op games, but as we, the more we do, we just want to make them more elegant and more, you know, more fun and simple, but also just, just focus on the cooperative element, like make sure all the mechanics lend itself to working together in different ways. So let me get this straight. You've got dice rolling, you got resources. I mean, co-op, I mean, what more could we ask for in a game, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I like. Here's what I'd like to know more about it is when can I get my hands on it? Can you give us some details on the Kickstarter? The Kickstarter launches on um, January 5th, and I'm not positive how long it's running, I'm, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be a, around a month um, long Kickstarter. And there's two pledge levels that are going to be available. There's the $50 pledge level to get you the game and um, some exclusive cards uh, for uh, you know this game and myth. And then there's the $100 pledge level, which gets you some extra stuff, including... A an exclusive um, character, a hero that you can play both in this game and in Myth. So that's pretty cool. But keeping it simple, just those two pledge levels. When's it supposed to ship? This one is supposed to. Sh- it's it's uh, got an estimated delivery date of June 2017. Because as I mentioned earlier, this game is uh, ready to go. They they're just they're ready to hit the print button once the Kickstarter ends. So it should be should be pretty quick. Wow. So no, like one year delay. I mean, you're going to run it for a month. It'll end in February and then get it in June. That's pretty sweet. So will it be available at Gen Con then for regular retail? I would hope so. Um, I'm not positive on that, but I think it, think it should be. Uh, well, I'm going to follow up with that though on that question though. That doesn't mean that y'all haven't done extensive play testing, right? Oh, correct. This game actually, we, <laughs> this game was actually been done uh, for quite a while. Um, they actually took it to Gen Con this year. People got to play it at Gen Con, a pretty much a final version of the prototype. Um, but yeah, we, we've, we designed this one a while, like almost, almost two years ago. Um, so it's been in playtesting for a long time. Well, that means that this one's been in playtesting and it's done. That means y'all have had time to do other things. So what can we look forward to in 2017? We have a few things we can't talk about, but one thing we probably can talk about is uh, probably the one that's coming immediately after uh, Dark Frontier, where we hope is um, it's a new game from a new publisher. It's called tentatively called Street Masters Rise of the Kingdom, and it's a kind of a hybrid um, board game. It's 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 inspired by console gaming and arcade gaming, um, and it's ins- mainly inspired by like Double Dragon and Street Fighter mixed with like Dynasty Warriors. So it's you know some outlandish fighter characters facing off against just hordes of bad guys like street thugs and and all kinds of different crazy characters and it's going to be a miniatures a cooperative miniatures board game so that one's pretty far along in the design and that should be launching early 2017 on kickstarter but they're it's since it's a new publisher they're not set in 
the dates in stone just yet. We're kind of seeing how things go, make sure we have enough ready, but that's probably coming up next. And then there's a couple other things that are um, a little further out next year, probably. Um, we have... I- you might have heard of uh, Awful Fantasy, the card game that we did a Kickstarter for, and that one's going to be shipping. But the guys at Awful Fantasy want to do a board game also, so we're going to be doing one of those. And Brady and I are actually uh, working on a, a new cooperative miniatures, tabletop miniatures game that we want to publish ourselves with some friends. Um, so that's going to be a big project for us. Um, publishing our own game by ourselves so we'll see how that goes you guys are like the eric langs of uh, the co-op world <laughs> I mean, you just keep you keep shoveling out some really fantastic games that's exciting yeah eric lang uh, came up to us at gen con and it, it, it cracked me up because I, i'm always you know astounded by how much his work is he, he does so much stuff he's got such a huge portfolio but when every time he saw me at gen con he's like man you guys are busier than i am I'm like no nah, it may seem that way but no <laughs> no one's busier than you eric <laughs> he just wants to talk about drums with you <laughs> yeah, yeah he's he loves his drums <laughs> that, that's right for those who don't know uh these two guys are, are musicians heavy metal uh brothers i like to call them and eric lang's in the heavy metal so that you gotta you got a lot to talk about when you hook up and it's not about games right yeah. <laughs> yeah so when are we gonna find some classical music brothers for me marty uh, i'm sure they're out there everybody appreciates classical in some shape or form <laughs> okay well, well guys uh, we appreciate you coming on but you will be back in 2017 when you get closer to these i can't say right now things right definitely <laughs> definitely yeah, you guys yeah, will yeah. you get we will be more than happy to come back and talk about these things we can't talk about <laughs> oh that's awesome i like talking about things we can't talk about so if people want to find you where can they uh get hold of you guys uh social media we're both pretty present on facebook and twitter um, we don't tweet that much but we lurk around and we we like stuff and, and retweet stuff so i think i'm just adam b sadler on twitter yeah i'm Brady J. Sadler. We have to throw our, our middle initials in there because we're not that famous. <laughs> Real quick summary. Kickstarter, January 5th. This is not tied to the Myth Universe. It's a standalone. It is tied to the Myth Universe in a sense as the setting, but not not the gameplay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, ga- the gameplay is completely separate. You don't need Myth to, right. to play this game. It'll be on its own. And you probably won't have, the, hopefully won't have the shipping difficulties that Myth has had. Yes. And like this big difference for this one is this one is done. So this one's ready to go. Yeah, we won't be designing stretch goals as we go. <laughs> good, good. So if people were scared away by the Myth game, uh, don't let that uh, worry you here. It sounds like this game is ready to go. So be looking for it in uh, January, February timeframe on Kickstarter. Well, guys, thank you again. Thank you, guys. Thanks Appreciate for it, us, guys. It's always fun to have you on here. Five minute initiative begins in three, two. One. Tony, every once in a while, there's a game that comes along that really just catches me by surprise. It's one of those where I may read a little blurb on it and may not think a lot of it. And then I play it and I go, wow, that was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And that's exactly what I got with Clank, the deck building adventure game that was sent to us by Renegade Games to try out. And Tony, this is one of those deck building games that feels more than a deck building game. It's like a deck building board game, just like we thought with Tyrants in the Underdark. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, my gosh, you just wowed me with the little nice embroidery dragon bag. That was impressive <laughs> that came in. it. But it's deck building. So you know it's right up my alley. Love deck building games. Yeah, but, the, it, but there's a lot more to it, right? The whole deck building concept is that you are an adventurer that's trying to delve down 
into a dungeon and try to get some valuable artifacts and try to get those and get out of the dungeon before the dragon attacks and kills you. Right. And one of the neat things about this, a lot of deck building games, they're going to be attacking one another. You're going to be attacking. I'm going to attack you. I'm going to steal your stuff. Right. No, this is you against the dungeon. Decide when it's time to get out. Are you making too much noise? And that's what Clank is. Clank is about cubes going into a bag and those cubes coming out when the dragon needs to do something, try to get you out of his zone. So you add the Clank because the cards say, you know, the dragon attacks and those cubes go in there. And then you pull out based on the number of players or where you are based on the number of artifacts that have been picked up. So Clank is all about pushing your luck. Yeah. Clank is basically, I'm making noise. Thematically is the idea is you're stumbling along in a dungeon and you make noise adding to, like you said, this Clank track. There is a market card, just like in every deck building game where you can buy additional cards. What happens is, is some of those cards are marked with the dragon icon. And when that happens, every cube that was put on the blank area is put into the bag and you randomly pull out a number of cubes. Now there are a lot of black cubes in that bag at the beginning of the game, which do nothing to anybody. But if your cube comes out, that means you take an injury and and if you take too many hits on your hit points, well, you're, you're going to be dead. But the thing is, though, Tony, when those black cubes come out of the bag, they stay out of the bag. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the game, the only thing that's in there are player cubes. Now, the cards are real simple. You got the ability to either generate footsteps, which means you can move through the dungeon, or you can have swords to go battle people that are in the dungeon, the goblins or the ogres or some other wisty things or whatever. And then of course you've got your common buy cards. Now what's neat is some of the cards have dual purpose where they can fight and buy. So you've got all that going for the deck builder. So it's real simple, real quick, draw your five cards and make it, um, make your decisions based on the two marketplaces that you have. And then of course, down in the bottom, there's a marketplace that will have keys that come in later. Yeah, once you delve into the dungeon, there's actual marketplaces down there for buying additional items like a backpack for carrying an additional artifact or for keys to, for getting through locked passages in the dungeon. Once you think you've got everything you want, you've got enough treasure, you've got enough victory points to win the game, then it's time to get your butt out of the dungeon. That's, <laughs> That's it. Right. Plain and simple. Cost the dragon's coming. And the first person out, or if you get all the way to the top, they start the end game clock, which is across the top on their turn. They just simply move and draw dragon or cubes out of the dragon bag. Right, exactly. So basically, that there's a, there's a timer. So it's a race. You try to delve as deep into the dungeon or down on the board as you can for the higher price artifacts. But if you do, it's just going to take a lot longer to get out. So for me, my strategy was I'm going to grab some of the cheap stuff and try to get out and leave you guys in the dungeon. And so I got out. And at that point in time, I'm not playing the deck building element anymore, like you said. Uh, each time on my turn for four turns, I'm just pulling cubes out of a bag. And at the very end, if you're not above ground, you're out of the game. If you're above ground, you get to score your victory points the thing is was i thought i had this game won but no the guy that we played with generated this had this really uh, money making uh, mm-hmm. uh, system and he had this one card the duke that was going to give him victory points based on the number of gold he had at the end he didn't have to get out of the dungeon he killed us without doing that now one thing i do have a problem with this now it does have culling of the dark uh the of your deck but to me, it wasn't enough. I didn't see enough culling. Matter of fact, I only saw one card go out from him. I didn't see you do any card culling. I, got, I had dead cards in there. My draws were not great. To me, I think there needs to be more of a balance on card culling in a good deck builder. And I guess that's because of Ascension. There's a lot of deck culling in Ascension. 
And that to me is key to any type of game or a deck builder game. Sorry, not any game, but a deck builder. That's a very good point. I think that probably is one there because I kept drawing the stuff that I, there are some cards in there that you could buy from the marketplace to help you thin out your deck. I just never ran across any of them. Now, what was neat is if there was something big that you wanted to buy, you could buy it, but it would add clank. That was another way to add the clank cubes that would come in when the dragon would attack. So for me, would I play it again? Yes, I like this game. Is it one I put on my shelf? I would definitely put this on my shelf because I, well, I'm just a deck building theme. Yeah, same here. I think the theme is really good. It's a unique uh, deck building, a board game, a mishmash, well, like Tyrants of the Underdark was, except while that was a area control style game, this is more of a push your luck uh, dungeon uh, delving game. So it will be staying on my shelf too. That's Clank from Renegade Games. Five minute initiative is complete. Did you get a lot of holiday games? Are they a bear to set up? You weren't expecting that? Was Blood Rage more than you comprehend? Well, be sure to check out the Blood Rage insert at thebrokentoken.com. It makes setup so much easier, as well as all their other inserts for the games that you may have gotten this holiday season. Be sure to check it out at thebrokentoken.com. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Back at Origins, and we mentioned at the beginning of this show, Marty and I got to play the prototype of a Czech Games new game, Adrenaline, by Philip Nuttick. And we were just astounded by this really cool concept of area control where you go around shooting people. The teaser was, right, it was that it was an FPS Euro game. Right. A first-person shooter Euro and went, there is no way that this is going to work, and it did. Basically, what you're doing is everybody is spawning in an arena. You're going around basically shooting at each (laughs) other with your weapons, giving them blood stains. I called them teardrops, whatever you want. How about wounds? How about wounds? Let's call it wounds. (laughs) Fine. If you want to be, yeah, fine. You wound them. And as they build up all their wounds, if that person is killed, they will be respawned. But based on the number of wounds that person has by the individual players, those people will get victory points. So guess what? How do you win this game? What's the objective, Marty? It has to get the most victory points. And like you said, it's kind of an area control mechanic, but the area that you're trying to control or area majority is somebody else's life board. So if I get more damage on you from me, I'm going to get more points when you die. Now, dying is just a part of the game. That's no big deal. No big deal. It's just a part of it. And on your turn, it's pretty simple. You can move, you can pick up a gun, you can pick up resources. There are three different colored cubes, and those cubes are used for buying guns or reloading guns, or you can attack people. And that is pretty much it. And you're going around the board uh, attacking people. But the thing is, Tony, is who do you attack, right? You want to make sure you have one of your damage on at least everybody. So when they die, you get some points. But then some are more valuable over time, meaning the more a person dies, the less valuable they are. So the first time I kill you, the majority, uh, the first place that has the highest majority is going to get eight points. After that, it's only, you're only going to be worth six and then four. So that keeps that you know, pile on mechanic on. It's like, well, nobody likes playing with Tony. Let's just kill him every time. It doesn't make any sense because there'll be other players that are playing that are worth a lot more points to you. Now, this is one that I miss Marty in the game is as you 
kill people off, there is your round timer, your timer of this game. Yeah, it's basically eight kills. Eight kills. Mm -hmm. And whoever has the most kills is going to get eight victory points on down to the track. Yeah, so when you do a kill shot, that will count toward at the end of the game. And whoever has done the most kill shots... Uh, will also be given award of points based on a ranking on that track to also. So like you said, it's very easy to teach. You were kind of confused by the line of sight. Um, it's one of those things, once you kind of understand the line of sight, it's, it's not too bad. The board is variable sided, so you can play on different maps every time you play. There's different variants to the game. We just played the base game, so there's a lot of variability in this board game. Oh yeah, and the, the weapons are neat. Flamethrower, heat seeker, grenade launcher. I think that's the biggest thing. Every weapon in this game is totally different, mm-hmm. and people are constantly looking at the book to figure out how it works yeah. so i think your first few times of the game you're going to need that reference guide on how the weapons work after that you can kind of figure out from the icons on the cards how they're supposed to work right and the power up cards that are kind of neat they can be used as resources or give you a special ability like pushing people around or teleporting people or whatever and what's neat is when you die you do respawn you don't lose anything no. you can swap weapons out you can only carry up to three so it's really neat now i do want to touch on one thing the components in this game are top-notch, I think. I think the red skulls to help keep track of the number of deaths, those were really neat. It could have been as simple cardboard tokens. No, they are awesome. The wounds, teardrops, are hard plastic of the right color. The 3D figures. 3D figures. They are great. Miniatures. Uh, yeah. Miniatures. The miniatures. My miniature had a smiley face. I can't wait to see you paint him, and he's all yellow. He's already yellow, but you need to get the gray on him. Those are so cool. I really like the components. And we don't really mention the components in any of the games. This is one that just, wow, that's really neat. Yeah, yeah. So it's a game that's easy to teach. It's quick to play. I guess the biggest thing are the decisions you have to make on on who you're going to kill. Now, I think probably one of the negatives to me is that the MSRP on this game is 70 bucks. I think that's kind of high for what this game is. This is just a light, quick, 45-hour game. Uh, If you're going to want this game, I would definitely recommend finding a place that you get at a discount because I'm not sure the $70 MSRP is really worth it. Yeah, but there's so much expansion to this. Give it a shot. Give it a play with someone who has it. I think you may enjoy it, especially if you can get past someone getting thinking that, hey, I'm I'm going to go out and kill some. No, it's about getting area control. For me, this would be a keeper on the shelf. I definitely a keeper on the shelf just because of the theme alone. I think it's one of those that I can get a lot of non-gamers into and show them a different style of game. With it. They'll be playing a Euro and they don't even realize it. Five-minute initiative is complete. Wow, Tony, uh, that was a pretty packed episode right there. We're talking four reviews, an interview... And we're still in under an hour and a half. Wow. Well, what can we say? These five minute things really work out for us. Uh, Yeah, they do. Now, I do think we need to go back and talk about the interview that we did with the Saddlers after we got off air. I know that a lot of people are having an issue with the company that that makes Myth. They're making this game for and maybe concerned or worried about this game that's going to come out on Kickstarter. The Saddlers have promised us that this game is done. It's ready to go. There's no additional things going to be added. All they need to know is how many to print. They press the print button and they're done. So I don't think there's going to be, you should have that concern that maybe you had if you were a Kickstarter of the Myth board game. Right. And I, now, keep in mind, these are the Saddlers believing that um, Megacon is going to be able to hold true to that. There shouldn't be any reason why it's not. Because point blank, we asked them. We said, now, you know, there was a lot of discussion about Myth and, and some of the things. And in fact, how Myth has moved forward into like version 2.0. We mentioned that. If you have any questions, be sure to post, you know, do that dollar port or on yes. the Kickstarter or whatever. Do your post Due diligence. Comments. Yeah. Make sure you check it out. But, I mean, it's a Sadler game. They said they've been developing it for two years, so they're not 
they're not sure what could hold it up other than maybe a slow boat from China or something. Yeah, and exactly. It's not like they didn't, I think they've already, it's been finished for a while. It's just, they were just waiting to get the time to uh, come around and actually get it done. So hopefully that will ease some of your concerns uh, with who they're making this game with. But anyway, just keep an eye on, on it. Like Tony said, that's a good idea. Just if you want to do a dollar and just ask a bunch of questions in the comments and just hopefully you'll get the warm fuzzies, but we did get the warm fuzzies from the saddlers themselves. Right. And hopefully they'll have a dollar if not well maybe go to the forums on board game geek which reminds me be sure to join our board game geek guild and i hope that everybody got out there and if you're like us users of board game geek you gave a little money to them got your you know you got your free gg yeah get you some gg out there baby it's called it's it's some good stuff i mean i don't know how far up they are on their sponsorships but man you know it's anything to have that little 16 i hate that i missed doing that from the very beginning there's a couple of things i want to mention uh before uh we gotta get out of here is one one of our local uh conventions is coming up it's going to be scarab uh that we've visited before in the past in columbia south carolina and this year it's going to be january 13th through january 16th so if you want to check that out you can go register at uh, scarab.com and here's how you get to their website it's s dash C dash A dash R dash A dash B dot com. So scarab with dashes in between. Right. They would need to change that. Well, Google is your friend. <laughs> Type scarab game convention. Yeah, you may that's be right. Able to find it if you're in the uh, Columbia, South Carolina area. Good weekend convention. Yep. Start off the new year. You know, going to a gaming convention if you can. Hopefully, you know, weather will treat you right. Can you believe it, man? Another year. The convention season is starting up. Again. I know. Here we go. And you and I have already started talking about some of the stuff we're going to be doing this year. So it's it's starting to wrap up again. It's like you don't really get a break, do you? No, you don't. But, you know, I count on you to do all the heavy lifting here. That's awesome. Speaking of heavy lifting, the survey closed. We will be announcing our winners in the next show, mm-hmm. as well as discussing some of the results mm-hmm. and some of the comments. Thank you all for taking the time to participate in the survey. We really do appreciate it. It's always fun to go over the numbers and see what people uh, say and everything like that. So we're looking forward to that. Another thing, too, is I always like to help out other podcasts that are uh, getting started. And I just want to uh, mention a new one that's just come out. Tony, I don't know if you heard about this. It's called The Deep End. Uh, this is with um, host. Joe Wiggins, Clay Ross, and Ryan Metzler. Now, you may have heard some of those names. Ryan Metzler is probably, I consider, one of the premier heavy board gamer reviewers that's been around for years, right? He used to do a lot of reviews for the Dice Tower, uh, video reviews, and he hadn't done as many uh, recently, but now he started a podcast where they're going to focus on heavier board games. But what's also cool is Clay Ross of Capstone Games is also part of this podcast, so you're getting to hear from a publisher's perspective. And I think that's always really in- interesting to hear from that. That's why Board Games Insiders is so good with Bonacore and Ignacy, because you get to hear some behind-the-scenes stuff. So in this show, you're going to get to hear from clay and uh, joe and then ryan has a lot of experience in heavy board games so go check out that podcast it's at the it's at the deep end they have one episode hopefully that won't be their last but anyway i just know there's a lot of experience there so you might want to check them out do they listen to your advice about record a bunch and then start again probably not okay nobody listen to my advice i I hear you (laughs) (laughs) i tell you what so anyway Thank you for joining Rolling Dice and Taking Names for hopefully the complete 2017. If not, what's wrong with you? No. <laughs> no. Hey, hey, dude, guess what? What? We're going to get ready to open these boosters pretty soon. Yes, we are. And then I got to get out of here because you got how many trees to take down? Yeah, so Christmas is over. And in this house, we have 11 decorated trees. And these trees are over five feet in height. So. Yeah, there's two of them right behind you. One's a Star Wars tree and one's a geek tree. 
There you go. So I know you got to do that. I can't wait to get to these boosters. So do me a favor, keep rolling dice and taking names. Thanks for listening to RDTN. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, join our BGG Guild 1589, like us on Facebook. And if you like our show, leave us a review on iTunes. You know, there's nothing like good old comedy. Nothing like it on this show. have money burning a hole in your pocket no party no no okay it's post christmas i don't have any money burning my pocket well some of us might <laughs> and if you did not get the board game that you want or even the puzzle matter of fact they got these all these cool there's a tank puzzle it was so cool looking at funagain.com be sure to go check out all those neat things they're getting a lot of new stock in they're getting a lot of stuff restocks um from 2016 maybe some of the games we talked about tonight oracle of delphi jorvik adrenaline or even Clank. Be sure to check them all out at funagain.com and be sure to use RDTN in the affiliate code when placing your order.